0: I've asked John Wesley to come and do our scripture reading for us this morning. If you can go ahead and have your Bible ready, Matthew chapter number 6.
1: morning, Ogeta. Our, our scripture reading for today will be taken from uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 to 13, verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before you ask Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye: Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
0: I watch our Olympians with amazement and with pride. I don't know about you guys, but when They have the opening ceremonies at the Olympics, and the flag, our flag comes in with our Olympians. I have a source, there's a pride that swells in my heart. I don't know if you have the same thing. I watch these guys. I think of some of those that have been kind of our staples over the years. Stephen Curry, Ryan Pinney, Dika Toa. Think of these ones that have represented our nation over the years. And I think of the amount of discipline that goes into their years of training to get to the point where they can represent the nation. Amazing. Now, they don't just watch what they eat. Okay? All of us watch what we're... If you can see, you watch what you you eat. You watch it go right in your mouth, right? (laughs) They watch what they eat. I'm talking about... Their meal regimen, like, they weigh, like, they, they put their food on a scale and they weigh it. I'm going to eat this many calories and this many grams and this many kilojoules of this type of food. It's amazing how disciplined they are. You never find them at a bar. It never happens. Lamb flaps, by non mouse blow. No God. <laughs> These guys are amazing, and they train and they exercise. I mean, I don't know about now, but when in his prime, Ryan Peeney's shoulders, they must have been like the strongest things on earth, and Dicoteau's legs, good gracious, my, (laughs) amazing. Now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, let's say it's July 2024, the Olympics are going to be in Paris, and let's say... I was going to say you, I'll use me, I don't want to embarrass you, but let's say I show up at Jackson's airport when the team is about to get on the plane. Let's say I show up, and, and I, let's say I show up, and, and, and I've got the special track suit, I went and got one made for me, zip up in the front, Nike swoosh, and it has my name stenciled across the back. Let's say I show it. They're already right? They're there, and they've got their Kumul uniforms. Everybody's the same. They're all getting their picture. You know, everybody's getting their picture at the airport together, and I come running in. Let's just say I come running in. Hey, wait, guys. Wait for me. Wait for me. I'm going to join the team. They're going to look at me. Who are you? You've not been training with us. And I said, wait, 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 wait. A couple of nights ago, I had a dream, and I just dreamed, and I was like, in my dream, I saw myself winning the Olympics and I was going to carry the flag. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to give 110%. I hate that phrase. You can only give 100, guys. You can only give 100. You cannot do 110. It's impossible. If you could do 110, that's your new 100. But I'm going to give 110%. You watch. represent him. Give me a chance. Do you know what those Olympians are going to do? Two things. One, they're going to call security. Get this long, long out of here. And the second thing they're going to do is they're going to ride the escalator up to security, second floor at Jackson's Airport, departure terminal, and they're going to laugh about it all the way up. They're going to say, do you remember that long, long guy came, tried to be on the team with us? What in the world is he thinking? You know why? Because long before you can ever do something on the superhuman strength scale, You have to be well-disciplined and it takes time to get there. Now, that's bodily. But I've got good news for you. For the moment that you begin to engage in spiritual discipline, we're not talking about years. We're talking about God begins to do His work in your life immediately. Today, I begin to put myself into spiritual discipline and today I begin to start seeing results of it. Oh, I'm never going to be super spiritual, guys. That's never going to happen. I will be glorified when Jesus comes and takes me to be with him forever in heaven. I'll be glorified at that point, and I'm looking forward to that day. But until then, I'm going to be sanctified, and I'm going to keep on working at this. And there will be days when it seems like the world will put before me its best special plate of lamb flaps, and I've got to go, no, wait, I need to take a moment, push back from that, and I need a diet from the word of God. I need to put myself into. You might remember the verse we had, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, last week. We we we, we spent time in that. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things in the life that now is and in the life that is to come. That's a beautiful promise, friend. In, In verse 9, we don't have it on the board, but verse 9 goes on to say, that's a faithful statement. It's important for us to accept it. The statement is, godliness is profitable in all things in this life and in the life to come. God directly ties your eternity to what you do with Him in this life. What is your spiritual life looking like now? It will bear fruit in eternity, but it's not just eternity that we have to look forward to. It's also now, in this life. You see, spiritual discipline changes who you are. It changes how you act. It changes how you react. Spiritual discipline will change you. I'm going to take just a moment, unpack what the spiritual disciplines were. There are many of them, but the early church, the early church, this is the book of Acts, had some spiritual disciplines that they as a church engaged in. This comes out of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I'll read the verse for you. You've got it there on the board the church they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers i see three very clear uh, spiritual disciplines in that in that verse what did they do what did they what did they continue in they continued in the apostles doctrine what is the apostles doctrine well thankfully god gave it to us in his word so we have the entire New Testament. A larger portion of the New Testament is epistles, letters from the apostles to help us to know what is the doctrine that we should be following. And so spending time reading the Word, that's one of those spiritual disciplines. You see also that they continued the end of the verse, they continued in prayers. So like last week, we saw that when we're reading the Word of God, we're hearing from God. God's speaking to us through His Word and then in prayer yes we're speaking back to god but on a much better level than saying i speak to god more important is he hears me you see the gods of the heathen are idols that are carved out of wood and stone and they have ears that hear not eyes that see not and yet our heavenly father is able to hear our prayers and do something with those prayers this is a wonderful thing so spiritual discipline of prayer and we're going to spend our time today talking about that the third one that i see in this passage they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread that's the corporate gathering we'll talk about that next week when i say corporate gathering that's you and i as brothers and sisters in christ coming together on a regular basis spending time together i will preach at length on that next week most important time of the whole week There is nothing else in the entire week for me or for you that's more important than the gathering of the people of God. Nothing. Not sports, not school, not study, not work, not another thing on this planet is more important than gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't agree with that, I highly recommend that you skip next Sunday because I'm going to do my best to show you from the Bible. That you should be spending time together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are the the three spiritual disciplines that you see in the early church. Today I'd like to focus on prayer. I'll start with this statement, and we're going to be in Matthew 6 in just a moment. I'll start with this statement, and I hope that it'll maybe shock you. Our natural inclination is to not pray. Our natural inclination is to not pray. We don't naturally go through our day looking for times and opportunities to pray. It's just not natural. And I think that there's some reasons why and they go right back. If I were to root this, I think I could root it directly back in the Garden of Eden. You remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve? God God made them innocent and sinless. Oh, There should be a longing within every one of our hearts to go back to the garden. There are so many images throughout Scripture of what it would have been perfect like in the garden. And in the garden, God walked with man and communed openly with man. I can almost imagine perhaps Adam looked forward to the opportunity to talk with God. But then you remember what happened. Adam sinned against God. And when he sinned, a number of things happened. One, he immediately broke fellowship with God. You see, God cannot have sin in his presence. And so Adam, in sinning, in the garden, immediately broke fellowship. But then do you remember what Adam did? He tried to solve his own problems. And by the way, that's where you and I find ourselves today. There's Adam, I can just imagine, there's Adam behind the tree, having sewn up some leaves, A temporary solution to a permanent problem and there he is behind the tree having sewn up some leaves he's trying to figure things out himself and when God comes along he doesn't want to have anything to do with God you see that's why I say our natural inclination is to not pray you're going through life you're not looking for ways to be praying with God that's just normal it's abnormal I would say it's abnormal to have a desire to pray and yet, I want to encourage your soul this morning, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and the Holy Spirit will... you. The Holy Spirit will draw you to pray. Why? Because when you pray, you're making a confession. Here, let me share with you. Here's, here's the confession. Prayer confesses our need to lean on the sufficiency of the Almighty. Prayer causes us to lean on the... Oh, all sufficiency of the almighty you see god is almighty i am not my fallen sinful nature wants to tell me that i've got this figured out and when something comes up i can come up with my own even if it is temporary solution that's what my flesh wants to tell me and yet when i pray you know what i'm doing i'm saying god i can't do this I need you, and so I come to him in prayer, and perhaps, brothers and sisters, let this be a word of comfort. You don't have to be on your knees to pray. Being on your knees is a great posture, but you can pray in the moments of the day you're driving down the road, and you can just be communing, talking with your heavenly Father. His ear is inclined to you. He will hear your prayer, you can be walking down the road it can be a moment of trouble or it can be a moment of love you can just be talking with your heavenly father whether on your face on your knees eyes open eyes closed he hears our prayer and when we pray i'm showing i can't do this i need you it's so very important in the old testament king hezekiah i think is a great example of a king who turned to God and showed that he needed God. And in doing that, God inclined his ear and God rewarded him for it. Let's give you a quick synopsis of the story. It's recorded both in 2 Kings 18-19 and also in Isaiah 31-36. The story goes like this. Assyria was the enemy nation and Assyria was a mighty nation. Not Syria, but Assyria. A-S-S-Y-R-I-A. Massive army, and this massive army for about 15 years just took one place after another place. They worked their way around. In fact, you might remember Israel and Judah had split after Solomon's reign. Israel had already fallen to Assyria. And now it's Judah's time, Hezekiah, is the king. Assyria had made their way around, in fact, they'd gone around to the uh, the west of Jerusalem, worked their way down to the south of Jerusalem, and made a J-hook and were coming back up to Jerusalem. At this point, 46 Judean cities had fallen to Assyria. Can you just think with me for just a moment, if our capital city was walled in, we'd need a much smaller city we'd have to all come in together but could you imagine if 46 other cities had already been taken by the enemy what would happen to our city fear refugees we'd have a lot of people with us that aren't normally with us and they've already run away from their places to come and hide with us but we see this massive army way outnumbers us. Assyria had a way of going around a city. They would take their army and go all the way around the city, stack their army. Nobody's going to go in, nobody's going to come out. They call that sieging the city. And they besieged even Jerusalem. And the way they would do it is normally they would besiege the city and then they would bring massive ramps up to the walls on one day that they knew it was what day they would do it. And in all in one time, all these ramps would come up to the wall, and you can just imagine thousands of soldiers that would come up over the tops of those walls. The people inside, devastated, just waiting in terror for the moment when they would die. Jerusalem was in that position. Hezekiah was in the city. And one of the, uh, one of the uh, generals for Assyria came and made a statement. He met with some of the leaders of Judah right outside of the wall. And one of the things he said is amazing. He said it in the Hebrew tongue so that the people that were on the wall could hear it. Here's what he said. Whatever you do, don't you dare trust your God. Because if you trust your God, have a look around. We've already taken 46 cities. We can take yours too. Your God has done nothing for them. And in that moment, Hezekiah was faced with a choice. Here was his choice. One, I can trust God. Or two, I can send word to egypt now let me give you a moment of background there egypt was flush with cash egypt had horses they would rent out their horses chariots riders they had mercenaries ready to come all you got to do is pay them. and in this moment hezekiah says i can pray Or I can send some guys down to Egypt and we can get us a whole bunch of horses coming and we might be able to get out of this problem. And he refused, Hezekiah refused to send word to Egypt. Instead, he turned to God and he begged God, God, would you do a work and protect your people? And God answered him. Amazing. God sent the prophet Isaiah and told him, because you did not trust in your own Flesh and in Egypt, by the way, what a great image, by the way, brothers and sisters, Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world. You did not trust in the world to save you. You did not trust in your own flesh to get you out of this. Instead, you came to me in prayer. Therefore, I will answer your prayer and I will Look after you. I will save your people. And you might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that story. That was Second Kings 19.35. And one night, God sent an angel, killed 185,000 soldiers. We're talking about something like five times the number of people that were inside Jerusalem was the number of the soldiers outside. One angel came wiped them out. That king, the king of Assyria, went back to Assyria, by the way the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. Maybe you've heard of that somewhere else. The king goes back to Assyria, we might say like a dog with his tail between his legs. He never raised an army again, and in fact, his two sons killed him in his own palace. You see, his entire heritage flipped because one guy prayed and refused to look to himself and look to the world. You see, Our God has an inclined ear towards His people. He's looking for us to be praying to Him. Now, as we come into the New Testament, I think of the requests made by the disciples. This is another passage in the Gospels. We're in Matthew 6, but in the other passage, Luke chapter 11, the disciples make this request. Luke 11 and verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, it came to pass as He was praying in a certain place, when He ceased, the disciples asked Him, teach us to pray. John taught His disciples, teach us to pray. I don't think that this is the same story. The setting seems to be different, and yet Jesus gives the same answer in Luke 11 as what He gives here in Matthew 6. I can just imagine as the disciples sat with Jesus, how many times did they hear Jesus pray? That was a normal part of Jesus' ministry. Coming apart and praying. And sometimes he took the 12 to pray, and sometimes he just, just took three. But he would pray. And, brothers and sisters, if the Lord Jesus needs to take time to pray, you and I need to take time to pray. And here Jesus would pray, and his disciples would listen, and they knew this is different. You see, they had spent their years growing up listening to the Pharisees praying. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus calls the Pharisees by a different name. Can I point it out to you? Look up at chapter 6 and verse number 2. He says, When you do your alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Or down in verse number 5, when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites are. He just gave a new name to the Pharisees. He called them the hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? One side I show you something, but the other side I'm really a different way. And these disciples had spent their years, perhaps they've grown up in this society, and they've seen these hypocrites pray. These Pharisees just love the fact that Jesus just went right to their heart. Bang! They're fakes. And what was so fake about them? The fact that they would stand on the street corner to pray. You know what they're doing in that moment? Oh, Lord, I'm praying. I might as well just say it the way that they really mean it. I'm praying so that other people will see me praying. It has nothing to do with talking to God. It has everything to do with drawing people's eyes to themselves. And so these disciples have this question, Lord, teach us to pray. Show us how it's done. We want to pray like you pray. John taught his disciples. And many times the disciples asked Jesus for things. They asked for explanations. And sometimes Jesus would answer by going and giving them a story. Or maybe sometimes he would answer by asking them some more questions. But in this time, he didn't do either of those. He just went straight to the answer. And in this, I see our Lord Jesus compassionately helping his disciples. And from his disciples, he's helping us as well. You see, the Lord Jesus is helping us. Let's just jump right in. I want us to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. And I'll make note of a couple of highlights from there. Here's Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Be not therefore like unto them, the hypocrites. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye Our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. These two verses are very rich, and I just want to touch a couple of highlights from them. The first one I see is in verse number 8, where he says, don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Steer clear of, and there's a couple of things that he mentions in that passage, steer clear of public prayer. Now listen, brothers and sisters, public prayer is is very important. We gather as a church and we pray publicly publicly. That should be a normal part of our service, and it's something that I want to continue to grow through our services. We don't just pray to start and pray to finish. We're together. We pray so that our Heavenly Father from heaven will hear our prayer. But then there's the private prayers that should be going on through our lives. Don't be like the hypocrites, and don't do it in Vain repetition, that's another phrase that he used. Don't do it in vain repetition. When you pray, let it be from your heart. I've heard it said of some people that as they pray, it's as if they're talking to a friend. I can't think of a better way to talk to our Heavenly Father. That you get to talk to Him and that He hears and you don't have to form it Father, like this, like this, like this. And then do it again. There's no such thing as needing to say a prayer a hundred times. For He hears on the first. We don't have to repeat. And He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Theirs is vain. Theirs is for a show. Another thing I see in verse number 8 is He says, Your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. I find that to be both confusing... And comforting let me talk confusing first I I hope you've got I hope you're thinking this morning your father don't be like the hypocrites pray but your father already knows what you need before you even ask it so my natural question is if he already knows why do I need to ask him anybody else asking the same question if he already knows why do I waste his time I want you to think if you've got a child and you know what your child needs the fact that your child comes and asks you for it should be a comforting thing it should draw greater relationship within yourselves it would be a terrible thing for you to know that your child needs something and for your child to just expect that you will meet their needs but instead there's something that's wonderful about a child coming close to dad and say dad I need this for school oh you already knew it and you have every means with which to meet it but the fact that you come and ask there's a tenderness in that and again I say it's comforting because he knows our Heavenly Father knows and remember that he knows before you ask and so that means that sometimes he knows before you even knew this is comforting and then another interesting phrase that I see here is in verse number 9. Listen to the words that Jesus says. After this manner, pray. Here's Here's the manner. Our Father, which art in heaven. David Mathis said like this. This is a statement that draws together two seemingly opposite realities. This is two seemingly opposite realities. It seems like they should be opposed to each other, but they're not opposed. Here's the two opposite realities. Our Father, which art in heaven. I'll unpack that. Our Father, that's tenderness. And friend, I don't know If you grew up with a tender father, I have no idea. If you did not, I'm sorry for you. Your father, unfortunately, did not mirror what our heavenly father has. I was gifted. God gave me a gift of a loving father. I'm very thankful for that. I grew up little boy. I remember calling him daddy when I was little. I called him daddy so much that that was just in my vocabulary. My brothers and I, four of us. And I remember coming up 10, 11, 12, I'm still calling him daddy and I never even realized that that wasn't the way that you're supposed to do when you're a teen boy. And here I was 13 years old. I had just gotten onto the uh, our first, it was the very first organized basketball team that I could ever play in at school. And I remember my dad walking in, and I said something like, Daddy, I'm 13 years old, and I remember the basketball coach turning and looking at me, and he said, I thought you were a young man now. I went, huh? Oh, I'm not supposed to call him Daddy anymore, huh? He's Dad now. I remember the day when I changed the vocabulary, but nothing changed in the relationship. I was blessed with a tenderness with having a loving father. And that's the tenderness that are, is heard in the words of our Father. And it would be one thing if Jesus Christ the Son just simply said, My Father that's in heaven. That would be one thing. But instead He said, Our Father. And in those that one word He included, you and I, brothers and sisters, we get to include in the very fact that we have a tender Father who listens to our prayers. So as we come into the prayer, remember His ear is open to our cry. But then it's not just our Father, but it's our Father that's in Heaven. I don't know if you take the moment or ever take the time to meditate On the depth that is our Father that's in heaven. He is the almighty sovereign of the universe. And upon His throne, no man will ever approach. And there in front of His throne is a sea of glass, Revelation chapter 4 says. And no man can come unto Him. And the seraphim fly about Him and cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. 24-7 24-7 if you even count time that way in eternity. And there, upon the throne is the one that no man can look upon. And yet, is drawn in this phrase, our Father, which art in heaven, upon Him there is no need. He can meet. His resources are endless. And He can meet the every need of our life. And friend, He knows about the need before you ever ask or even know. Our Father, which is in heaven, our Father, He listens, He hears. And before I go further into verse number nine, can I take just a moment and have some theological clarity for us? We we pray in all kinds of ways. So let me unpack this. How is it that we pray? We pray to the Father. So we see that in the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. So when we pray, we're praying to our heavenly Father. This is not, we're not praying, and, 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 and I know that this came up recently, and that's why I'm, I'm speaking about it. We're not praying to an angel. The angels serve the heavenly Father. The angels are not recipients of our prayers. We don't, we don't even pray to the saints. I know that there are some who would do that. I'm going to pray to this saint when I'm going to go on a journey, or I'm going to pray to this saint when I'm in danger. We don't pray to the saints. Here, I'll give you a little theological background. Scripture says those that are believers are saints. So, I know that we want to say St. Michael and St. the other ones. You're welcome to start referring to me as St. Matt. I like it. And I'll call you St. Joe and St. Eric, St. Paul, St. Dad. We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to the angels. And I'm going I'm to be very tender when I say this. We don't pray to Mary either. She was highly favored. Yes, God chose her and she was highly favored. But we don't pray to her. We get the opportunity to pray to the Heavenly Father. So when you pray, here's Jesus' words. When you pray, pray, Our Father, which art in heaven... This is a beautiful thing. So while I'm here, what, how do we do this? We pray to the Father, and we pray in the name of the Son. So we pray in the name of the Son. And, and I'll, I'll share a verse for this. You might be familiar with when we pray, we come to the end of our prayer, and we say, in Jesus' name, amen. You might wonder, where does that come from? It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. I'll share the verse with you. Here's the verse. For all the promises of God in Him, that's in Jesus, are, yes and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Every one of those phrases is important, and we could spend a whole sermon on that verse. I won't. But here's what he's saying. All of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. So when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for you and I, took our sin upon himself. Oh, yes, the gospel. When he took our sin, he fulfilled every promise of God. So every promise of God in Jesus is yes and amen. In other words, it's fulfilled. So that when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is true. It is fulfilled because of Jesus and his work on the cross I'm just going to point out a phrase here because this is an important phrase. At the very end, unto the glory of God by us. That's an important phrase. We'll talk about that in life groups. So we have, we pray to the Father. We pray in the name of the Son. And since you can probably already see there's a trinity going on here, we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit. And this comes from Romans chapter 8. In verse 26, we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you remember, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he helps us. Here's Romans 8 in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're a believer. You put your trust in Christ. God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And now the Holy Spirit lives within you. And when it comes to prayer, he helps you in your prayer. Praying to the Father in the name of the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what does that look like? I'll just give a quick illustration and we'll move on. Let's say, for example, I don't have a sister, so I can use this example. Father, my sister has cancer and it's looking really bad. And I don't know how to pray right now. If I pray that she goes to be with you, that would be better for her. And she gets to spend eternity with you. And we know that she's right with you. And we know that she's going to go to be with you in heaven. And she won't be in any pain anymore. But, oh, we will mourn. And the flip of that, Lord, is that I pray that she be healed and we get to be with her, but she doesn't get to be with you. And she's going to continue to go through scans for every six months for the rest of her life. And every six months she's going to be worried. So, Lord, right now I don't know which way to pray. That's what he's meaning. Romans 8, 26. So the Spirit helps me when I don't know how to pray. The Spirit helps to pray. For sometimes I might pray, and what I'm praying might not be God's will but the Spirit prays always in the perfect will of God. And so we pray to the Father in the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I hope that that might help to frame some of your thinking and if you need to, reframe some of your thinking. While I'm there, can I just have a moment? I'm just going to step away from my notes for a moment. I mentioned cancer, and I'm afraid that a lot of us when it comes to illness, have a tendency, We give me grace as your pastor, some of us have a tendency to run to what we remember from our past instead of coming to the way that the gospel should be transforming our lives. And, and here's what that looks like. So my sister gets sick, the doctor calls it cancer, and perhaps there's a treatment, but that treatment didn't work. And so now, what am I going to do? So often, we run to, and I'm going to use a phrase again, please give me liberty as your pastor. We run to a phrase, we say, sick place. And what happens when we say sick place? We start looking for somebody to blame. It must have been that person who did it. Or it must have been that person who did it. And now, instead of living with the Spirit of God transforming my life, and I'm manufacturing or I'm showing that out in love in my life. Instead, one thing that God was using for his glory and for my good, instead I turn that around and I start breaking off relationships to people that are in my life. Can I remind you all things. We saw Romans 8.26. Two verses later is Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them who are called according to his purpose god's making them work for your your good don't fight back against that don't turn to our old ways allow the holy spirit to do his work in our lives and allow the gospel to transform us i'll come back to matthew 6 i hope you're there matthew 6 let's see the bulk of this prayer here's matthew chapter 6 verses 9 to 13 i'll read it and then i'll just kind of unpack quickly here's the model prayer that he gives Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen so as i look at this prayer modeled by christ he didn't say you need to pray this but he said after this manner to pray use this as a model for you to pray i see kind of three major sections in that prayer i see first there's one overarching theme and that's in the first statement then i see five supporting points that go to that major theme And then I see the reason at the end that we pray that way. So let me give you the overarching theme, and then I'll just show how everything supports it. And then we'll close out with the reason that we pray. So the overarching theme is right there in verse number 9. Hallowed be thy name. After this manner, pray. And this is the overarching theme for the whole prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is not a word we use in our normal day-to-day conversation. It's not in your vocabulary. Hallowed. Most likely, the only time you ever use hallowed is when you say the Lord's Prayer. It means, let it to be set apart as holy. Let the name of God be holy. This is our one overarching theme for the whole verse. Hallowed be your name. God, let your name be be holy you remember what our father in heaven should look like and so when I approach him my father which is in heaven I should approach him in a way that his name will be set apart as holy I want him to look good I want God to be the one who gets his name spread abroad I want His name to be the one that's lifted up. So as I pray, I'm not praying in the street corner like the hypocrites. Oh, look at me. But instead, maybe I have to go into my closet to pray. And I'm going to pray, oh Lord, let Your name be made great. Not mine. Your name be made great. And everything else in this passage supports that theme. So I might wonder this morning, whose name are you making hallowed? With your day-to-day actions and with your prayers, Whose name are you making hallowed? Are you making His name to be hallowed? Are you setting apart His name? Or somehow, are you flying the flag for your kingdom? Are you making His name to be great? wonder if maybe like Adam, you might be over in the corner sewing up some leaves and hoping you can get by without having to have another conversation today. I hope that instead, like Hezekiah, you're running to Him for strength instead of running to yourself and the world. I see five supporting petitions from verses twelve to verse 10 to 13. I'll walk through them quickly. Don't have time to develop them all. Thy kingdom come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. The day will come, brothers and sisters, when His kingdom will be established. And of it, there will be no end. And of the increase of the peace and government, there will be There will be ever increasing. I look forward to that day. And he opens that prayer with your name be hallowed. And the very first way that it would be hallowed is just let your kingdom come. And I think you and I feel this pain from day to day. Oh, let the kingdom of God be spread abroad upon this earth. And until it does, I will live like it is. I'm a citizen of a different country. And I don't mean the passport that has an eagle on the front. I'm a citizen of His kingdom. And I hope if you're a believer today, you understand that you also are a citizen of that kingdom. So may His kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is a need for our society today. Thy will be done on this earth even as it is in heaven. You realize there's no rebels in heaven. There's no rascals in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. Let thy will, as it is done in heaven, let it be done on earth. We celebrate the fact that police did their job over the holiday season. Why can't we just have them do their job all the time? Thy will be done on earth. It's a prayer that you and I should pray, friend. So when I stand and pray a pastoral prayer, God, make our civil society do right. It's following in Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Let His name be made great as He provides our daily needs. Now friend, God is not your genie in a bottle that you can come and rub the bottle and ask for three wishes. It's not how He works. You don't take Him out and play with Him when you want to. But He has promised as your Heavenly Father to meet your needs. So come to Him. And when you come to Him, you realize when you don't come to Him and you meet your own needs, you lift up your own kingdom. But when you come to Him and He meets your needs, you lift up His kingdom. Thy name be made great. Hallowed be Thy name. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and he will forgive he has promised to forgive i come to him father forgive my sins and he has promised to forgive my debts but notice that there is a word in there that's so very important two letters one massive word as forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and just a few verses later he makes a very important statement if you won't forgive the father won't forgive I don't want to hold back forgiveness. So I have no right to hold back forgiveness, for my debt is much larger than anyone's debt against me. My debt against the Heavenly Father is massive. So therefore, I will release these debts. I will forgive and ask for forgiveness. And in Him forgiving, He makes His name wonderful. The fifth one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I need his forgiveness for my sin. And I need his strength in facing the next trial. As I'm taken from the doorway of sin into the gates of his presence, I'm changed as a person. And his name is hallowed. Now all of this is for one reason. So there was one overarching theme at the beginning. Hallowed be thy name. Five supporting points. And now he closes the prayer with one major reason that we should pray this way. You can see it at the end of verse 13. For. In my Bible, the word for is circled because I want to draw my attention every time I read it. I want to draw my attention to the for. Another way you could say it is because. For. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So start off with your name is Hallowed. I'm setting it apart. And everything I'm going to pray is so that you would be made glorious. You'll look good because yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory and yours is the honor forever and ever before I ever existed all through my life and forever in the ages to come. Yours is the kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's not mine. Yours is the glory. I don't get any glory. You get it all. Yours is the honor. I want to lift you up and so I will give it all to you in this prayer and in the life that flows out because of my prayer. You see, spiritual disciplines will change who you are. It will change how you act and how you react. Let me close with some practical helps for you. I hope that these can be of help to you. Two quick ones and I'll be done. First one, make prayer a part of your day. Oh friend, I hope that you will make prayer a part of your day. I hope that you have taken from last week, maybe you've taken from the back table a Bible reading plan. Some are still left there. Maybe you started reading. I'm so tempted to ask how many people read this week. I'm so tempted. Tell me after the service. I'll give you a hug. You'll get a free hug after church. You read this last week. No kidding, Galman, God yet himself. But not just reading the Word, take the time to pray, speak to your Heavenly Father. Obviously, at mealtimes, I hope that you're not an absolute heathen who just skips over praying at meals. I hope that that's just a part of you. But then, take extra time throughout your day. Maybe you need to schedule that. Maybe that means that in the morning, when you read... Tack on a couple extra minutes. And I might recommend that you don't start off by saying, I'm going to, read one, uh, going to pray one hour every day. Good luck on that. Maybe three minutes. And second to this, not just set aside time for prayer, but can I just make another practical tip here? Use a list. Use a list. Take the time to write things down. And an amazing thing will happen. The longer you do this, the longer your list will get. So you'll start off and you sit down and you go, okay, who am I going to pray for today? And for your life, you can't think think of more than three people. So just write those three people down. It's okay. So write down the, the names of those three people. And then when you pray, God might bring to mind somebody else. It's okay. Write their name down too. Tomorrow you'll get to come back and pray for them. And in the meantime, you'll think of someone else or something else. Or maybe you'll get word from someone that they need prayer and you can add them to your list. I've already embarrassed him once today, so I'll go ahead and do it again. As I was growing up, I remember seeing my dad with a list. He still uses lists to this day. Handwritten list on a little index card with a pencil in the world's smallest writing. And he keeps that list of prayer and I have had the opportunity to glamp, glance at his prayer list from time to time over my lifetime, and I love the fact that I get to see that he's praying for me. I've watched as his little index card wears out, and he gets a new one, and I'm sure he could tell you how often he replaces it. But friend, use a list. Becky and I use the church directory. We printed off the church directory. If you need it, let me know. We'll send it to you again. I know we need to update it. But Becky and I use the church directory. It's something like 12 pages long. And Becky and I pray one page of it. Because if we prayed all 12 pages of it, we'd take an hour. All right? So every morning, we sit down to have breakfast together. When we finish having breakfast, I told you last week, we read in the morning, 515, 515 to 545, something like that. We read every morning. Then we go for a walk. We come back. We have breakfast At the end of breakfast, we pray together and we use the church directory to pray from. And we use the page that is there. So if you remember seeing the church directory, it's in pages. And if you're on that page, you get prayed for that day. And sometimes I send you a message that says, hey, I prayed for you today. And then when we get done with that, we change the page and we save the ones for the next day. In that way, I'm praying through the church in about 8 to 10 days. We pray through the whole church. We sit at the table, and I'm just going to share this. It's practical, okay? Just practical. Here's how we do it. I, sit at, I always sit at the head of the table. If you've ever had a meal with me, you'll know why. me boss mania. Everybody else sit down on the sides. No got round table to house for me. Just kidding, guys. Becky always sits at my left hand. I don't know why. She just chose that chair. And when we pray, I reach across and I hold her hand, and we put that little paper in front of us. Guys, you don't have to keep your eyes closed through the whole prayer, all right? You can open your eyes. It's allowed. And I put the paper there between us, and I hold her hand, and we, play, we do tag team praying. So I pray for the first person on the list, and I pray for maybe two or three sentences. And then I squeeze her hand, and she knows it's her turn. And she prays for the next person on the list. And when she prays two or three sentences, she squeezes my hand. Then I pray for the next person on the list. We do that back and forth. If you've seen the church directory, there's somewhere between six and ten people or families on a single page. We do that back and forth. And then if there's something pressing on the day, there's an issue, I pray for that. And maybe she'll pray for something else. We go back and forth. It takes us maybe four minutes. We get an opportunity to pray for other people and make it a part of our day. If you've never prayed with your spouse before, it'll change your life. It's hard to fight with, some, fight with someone who you're praying with. And by the way, when it comes time for prayer, if it's a part of your normal everyday schedule, you'll have to fix the, the fight before you come to the prayer. For your heavenly Father will call you out on that one. Use a list. It doesn't matter what your list looks like, whether it's an index card or it's a church directory. You can use an app on your phone. There's an app called the Echo app, E-C-H-O. It's free of charge, and you can set a timer on it for it to remind you every day to pray at a certain time. My friend Brad Wells prays every day, three o'clock in the afternoon. His alarm goes off, and it doesn't matter what he's doing. He will stop it and pray. Use a list. It might be of help to you. What are some things you can pray for? You can follow the Lord's Prayer. Adore Him. Confess your sins. Be thankful. Pray for others. You can pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your co-workers. Pray for your boss. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you need to, use that church directory. Pray for our society, our city, our province, our nation. Pray for our police. Pray for our ambulance workers. Don't look at them and say, oh, I'll see him green uniform. Look at All got work. Yeah. No, one day you might need them and you'll be very thankful for them. Pray for the ambulance workers. Pray for our health care system that needs a lot of prayer. Pray for our education system that needs a lot of prayer. Pray for our civil society. Pray for peace in our world, in our city. Two Mile Hill, Buruni. I don't have to stay there long. Pray for peace in our city. You know the hot spots. Pray for peace in our nation, Tari. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. There was fighting just this week. Pray for peace in Ukraine and Russia. You see, prayer will change who you are. I find that prayer calms my soul. I'll give an example of this. A couple of weeks ago, woke up in the middle of the night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I laid there in the bed for almost two hours. We had a lot of things going on. I've alluded over the last few months dark season of the soul. I laid there in bed for almost two hours and I tossed and turned. I laid there and I thought about this situation. I thought about this person. thought about this problem. I thought about this is what I'm going to say to that one and I'm going to fix it. This is what that one needs. And I laid there and thought about it for two hours. I thought to myself all through the midst of it, Matt, shh, you're never going to go back to sleep tonight. And tomorrow you're going to have a really bad day because you didn't sleep tonight. Anybody else like that? Just checking. I'm human, right? And a verse came through my mind. Philippians 4.8 came through my mind after two hours of me wrestling with my flesh. Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise... Think on these things. So I took a pause there in my bed after two hours of fighting with my flesh, and I decided I'm going to take a stop. I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing, and I'm going to take the Bible's way of doing this. And you'd never believe what happened. I just started praying. I laid there. I started praying, Lord, Lord, You know the need, that problem, I can't solve that, but you can. And I don't know if it's going to be solved today, or this week, or this month, or in my lifetime, but I'm going to trust you to be the one who does it. And this issue over here, I know that I can't do it, but you can. And these people over here that don't have anything to do with it, would you put your hand of blessing upon their life today? Guys, I don't know how long I stayed awake after that, but I don't think it was much more than 15 minutes just calmed my soul. Next thing I knew, the alarm was going off and it was time to wake up. Can I encourage you? Make prayer a part of your life. Spiritual discipline. And it will make a difference of who you are. Father, I thank you for being a God who hears. This morning, I want to ask you to do a work in our hearts and allow us to see the majesty that is our Father that's in heaven. Could I ask you to stand with me this morning like we did last week? I'd like to invite you to come, and perhaps would you commit? Lord, I'm going to pray, and I want to do it every day. And Lord, would you give me... A time, and maybe today, I'd like for you to even think, I'm going to do it at this time. I'm not telling you what time to do it. I want you to pick it. The altar's open, and I'd love to see you come around. Maybe come with your family if you'd like. Commit spouses together. I'm going to pray. Families, I'm going to pray. Dads, pray with your children, over your children. Blessed opportunity this morning as I prayed over my daughter before she flew. I encourage you, make a statement to the Lord. I'm going to pray, and it's going to start today. Heavenly Father, you see those of us that are committing. Lord, I know that I need to spend more time in prayer. My natural inclination is to not pray. And so today, Lord, I'm committing with my brothers and sisters to be more committed to this spiritual discipline that I will set time apart in my daily schedule I will be intentional about it. And Lord, I pray that you would honor those that have decided they're going to try to find rest in you and help in you instead of in themselves and from the world. So Lord, I thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you for being our heavenly Father. And thank you for hearing our prayer. ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.